God, it's, it's amazing to think about the stories of your grace that you just shared, the ways that you were at work in Sandy's life, in Sam's, and in Andrew's, and how new life has come out of this summer. It's crazy that eternity has changed because of this summer. Literally, our theme verse happened. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And yet, that's just, that's not even scratching the surface. There's so many other stories of new faith, new community, new friendships, new understanding of the Bible and how to study it, uh, new ways to look at the gospel. And again, we're just scratching the surface. And God, I pray that even now that it won't just stay here, that it won't just be this two-month summer thing, but it would ripple out from this room. And God, what would happen if what Sandy said would happen and if what Andrew said would happen and if what Sam said would happen, that that as they go back to campus and want to share this message with other people, what would happen? How could you move? So God, help us, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, like I said before, tonight's the, the final rally. And um, the title is All Things New. And I'm, I'm going to give you guys a couple pictures of what I'm trying to communicate tonight. So, how many of you guys have seen the movie Dunkirk? Okay. I'm not going to ruin the movie, not like a spoiler alert. Some of you guys might not want a war movie, I get it. But uh, we got that picture. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so the movie Dunkirk is based off this battle that took place on Dunkirk. And what happened was the German troops started to surround the army at Dunkirk. The crazy thing about the, the army that was trapped at Dunkirk is they could see home. They were 20 to 21 miles, nautical miles away from, is it Dover? Is that right? Uh, and they could see home, but they couldn't get there. The German troops had flanked them and were essentially all around them and attacking them. And they could see home, but they weren't there. So they're in the middle of this war. And again, I'm not going to ruin the story. Go see the movie. It's good. But essentially, this is the Christian life. And so this is what I want to communicate tonight. One picture of it is Dunkirk. The reality that we can see home, and home is coming, and it is finished, and yet we're not there. We're not there yet. Like, we're in a war, and although it looks different than Dunkirk, and we're, we're in a war, and yet we can see home. We're almost there, and yet we're not. And, and that's the picture you get with Dunkirk, and that's why it's a powerful movie. I would... Highly recommend it. Gideon said it's, did you say it was the best movie you've seen this year? No. Okay. <laughs> I said that for Gideon. <laughs> Wasn't true. The, the next picture I want to leave you guys is, uh, so Ed Sheeran has a song, Castle on the Hill, right? Everyone's heard it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, okay. But uh, I just want to play like a minute of it. And the lyrics are up there. And you guys have heard it, but roll it.
right, so multiple points in that song. I'm not gonna sing it. Ed Sheeran has an amazing voice. If he was like anyone else, I would actually try, but not Ed. He's the man. Over and over in the song, though, he says, I can't wait to go home, and I'm on my way. And he's not talking about home, how I'm gonna talk about it tonight. But again, this is the Christian life. Like, this is what we should say. We should say, I can't wait to go home, I'm on my way. And so that's where we're going tonight. When I say all things new, if the Dunkirk analogy helps you, or if you're an Ed Sheeran fan, that's what we're talking about. So if you have a Bible and want to open it, we're going to basically focus in on one verse, and we're going to unpack it. So Philippians 1.21. Does anyone know Philippians 1.21? Yeah, it's on Oh, okay. I was like, a lot of people know it. This is great. So, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, basically, as we talk about this, I'm going to start with the second half. So, we're going to focus on to die is gain, and then we're going to look at to live is Christ. Okay? So, we're going to start at the end, which might feel weird, but that's what we're doing. So, to die is gain. Um, so... This is a weird passage if you read this and you read the context surrounding this. So this is Paul talking to the Philippian church. He says to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then he goes on in this weird like back and forth. And if we had more time, we'd look at it. But Paul in this passage is not suicidal. Like he's not contemplating like taking his death or taking his life. He's focused on Christ and who he is. Okay. And the reality is that Death is way more real and closer than any of us are probably thinking right now. It's way closer than any of us are thinking. Just one year ago, yesterday or two, two days ago, a uh, family that Nikki and I went to college with, they were going to be missionaries in Japan, were hit by a semi and died. Like the first people that were like in our circle, and they're gone. Jen Jacobs has a brain tumor that's inoperable right now. And she's going through chemo. And the prognosis on her life is one month to six years. That's crazy. Like, she's looking at the end in death. And even Harmon shared during his talk, his brother, one second he's alive, next day he's dead. And yet, this is true of us. This is how the Bible talks about it in James 4.14. It says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The Bible talks about our life as a mist, as a vapor. It appears and then it vanishes. It's short. Or Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. You guys, none of us are guaranteed one more breath on this earth. And we have to understand that. Matt Reagan says it this way. He's been really impactful as I think about the idea of heaven and life and death. And he said, How quickly I assume my earthly immortality and how often I need to think of myself as a terminally cancer patient. Like that's how we need to think about ourselves. More how Jen Jacobs is living now. That the end in here. Like just think about how that would change how we live. Like, this could be your last moment. This could be your last day. This could be your last week. This could be your last hour. How would that change how you live your life? And yet, so the question I want to answer to start, I have four points to help us understand, why is death gain? 
Why is to die gain? Like Paul says, to die is gain. Why is that gain? Because I don't know that many of us in this room would say that. Like, if we were to be, like, brutally honest, I'm not sure we'd say that. Like, yeah, dying is gain. What? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, I have another quote, and then I'll get to those four points. Matthew Westerholm is the downtown pastor for worship, and he said this, and I really liked it. He said, Have you ever worried that you might grow bored in heaven, that things might lose their luster or taste, that the whole novelty and intrigue of heaven might fade, as do most things on earth? When you sing, We've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Do you wonder whether or not that be encouraged by, that, by such a statement? Sure, eternal life sounds wonderful at first, but unless you have a firm grasp on the Bible, on what the Bible has to say about eternal life, you may begin to wonder. So this is what I want to do. I want to look at what does the Bible have to say about eternal life, and what does the Bible specifically have to say about heaven, and why is to die gain, okay? So I have four points as to why to die is gain. And then we're going to look at to live as Christ. And I have four points there just to make it clear. So, number one, why is to die gain? We get to be with Christ. We get to be with Christ. So, Paul continues in this argument, 121, and he gets to verse 23, and he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I don't know about you guys, but I've, uh, I've thought about heaven a lot um, just over the course of time, uh, being on staff as a student in your shoes, uh, heard a few different talks on heaven. And I would picture, like, what does it look like? What's it going to be like? Like, what are the people going to be like? Like, what are the sounds? What are the smells going to be? But the best thing about heaven is that we're going to be with Christ. Like, we're going to be in the image of Christ with Christ. And Matthew was hinting at this earlier, but that's never going to be boring. Like, think about this. John Piper says it this way. Christ is, more, is a more wonderful person than anyone on earth. He's wiser, stronger, kinder than anyone you enjoy spending time with. He's endlessly interesting. He knows exactly what to do and what to say at every moment to make his guests as glad as they can possibly be. He overflows in love with an infinite insight into how to use that love to make his loved ones feel loved. That's crazy to think about. Like, this is Christ. Like, picture your best friend and he's far better. Like, he knows what to say at every moment. He knows the question to ask. He cares and truly loves you. And yet, we're going to be with him. The one who created us. The one that loves us so much that he died for us. And we're going to be with him. And he's going to be with us. And it's going to be awesome. So why is to die gain? One, we get to be with Christ. Number two, we get everlasting joy and comfort. Or another way to say that negatively is there's going to be no pain. We will not experience pain. We will not experience pain. I think I put the text up there, yeah. If you guys look at it just on the screen, you can write it down. Luke 16, 19 through 25, says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted, how do we say that word there? Sumptuously? Every day. So, what does that mean, by the way? Okay. They should have just said that. 
<laughs> he feasted good every day. And his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by an angel to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham fall far off and Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send me to Lazarus to dip the end of my finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things, and Lazarus in like bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So we get this picture of a rich man in Lazarus who has these sores and was poor. And yet, very different pictures. Both of them died. Like death is a reality, they both die. And yet Lazarus is comforted for eternity. And we see the rich man is suffering over and over and over again. And again, this is just a picture, but in heaven there will be no pain. There will be no pain. Like, just think about that. Like, as I've been thinking, even the last couple weeks, um, about the Simmons and what Jen's experiencing, and cancer is terrible. Like, there's no, it's, it's bad. And our bodies fail. People fail us. Even just today, like, I woke up and my knee hurts because we were playing ships across the ocean and I ran into Nate. And I hurt my knee. And, uh... I was back home last week and I was mowing my lawn and I got a blister right here. And everything I did today felt like I broke it open and it was bleeding and I was like, this sucks. Like why do we have blisters and paper cuts and sprained ankles? But not only is physical pain gonna go away, there's gonna be no emotional pain. Like any pain you can picture or imagine, it won't be in heaven. We'll have everlasting joy and comfort. Which is crazy to think about. No more pain. No more brokenness. And we're going to have eternal joy and comfort. Like that's amazing to think about. Like just even spend time thinking about that. Like you could think in your own mind what you experienced today. Maybe not a blister or a sore knee. But my wife is 30 and she has a fake hip. 29, sorry. 29 forever. And she already has a fake hip. And it's like that's not how it should be. And yet there will be no pain. No pain in heaven. Number three, we will be perfect. We will be perfect. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into the innumerable angels in festal gathering, into the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Like, the righteous will be made perfect. Those who are trusting in Christ will be made perfect in heaven. Like, there will be no sin. Not only will there be no pain, no brokenness, there will be zero sin. That's, like, unfathomable to think about. Like, even this summer, maybe even this morning, you won't have to deal with a roommate who won't get out of bed and hit snooze 10 times. Or who uses the bathroom way too long. Or never does the dishes. Or does all the things that annoy you. 
You will never have to worry about that. That won't be the case. And it's not just the other people, but it's you. You won't be hurting people anymore. You won't have bad motives for anything. You won't have bad thoughts. Like, you'll be perfect. No more hurting people with your words, with what you say or what you do. Like, that's going to be gone. Just think about that. No more sin. No more pain. That's crazy to think about. And yet, that's why to die is gain. This is what we're getting. We get Christ, we get no more pain, and we get no more sin. And finally, number four, we're finally home. We're finally home. Don't be fooled. This is not home. Earth is not home. And we have to be reminded of that often. This isn't it. In the, in the best of times, earth can be a shadow pointing to what we get in heaven. But this isn't it. It's still a shadow. It still isn't it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We'll be finally home. There will be perfect rest. Like if you think about the perfect day, the perfect rest that you could experience, and it's going to be even better. And you're going to be in the, with Christ in that moment. John Piper says, There will be a serenity beneath the eye and care of God that surpasses anything we've known. Here on the softest summer evening, by most peaceful lake, at our most happy moments. And yet heaven's going to be better. Or just think about this. Finally home, and we'll experience contentment like we've never experienced. Like, a lot of you guys are going home, and in two days you're going to be back in your own bed. Not in the project mattress, not on sharing a bed with someone who snores or rolls over or kicks you. Maybe you're going back to the home you grew up in, and that might bring back a lot of memories for you. And maybe you'll get the best night's sleep ever, and heaven will be better. Heaven will be way better. You will be more content and experience perfect rest because you're finally home. And that's where we're going. So why is to die again? We get to be with Christ. There will be no more pain, no more sin, and we'll be finally home. So you should think, this is going to be better. Like in so many ways, what, what the pals are experiencing is so much better than we can even imagine. Like don't think that what we have here, this mirage of earth, that it's it because it's not. They're with Christ right now. They're celebrating. They're in His presence. And there's joy there. So what about the first half of the verse? So we started with the second half. So now we're going to look at to live is Christ. To live is Christ. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean to live is Christ? That's a good question. Because Paul in his little argument with himself goes back and forth. And yet he decides that he's going to stay and remain on earth and to live is Christ. So let's look at what does that mean? What is he talking about? So number one, earth is not our true home. Earth is not our true home. So I was kind of talking about this with the last point, but even mathematically speaking, I'm not very good at math, uh, not even close, but our time on earth does not even compare to eternity. So if you put eternity up to even, let's just say like a person who lives a long time, I think the average age now is like, I think in the 80s, but let's just say you live to 100. 100 years old compared to eternity, this still doesn't even compute. Like I should get Ryan Bell up here to explain and what it would do to a calculator, but 
The reality is like, I heard someone explain it once. If you were to like take a string and put it from here to the end of that exit sign and just stick it, and this is like all of eternity, like that single hundred years would be less than like a grain of sand on that whole spectrum. I had a, I actually have a shirt that I like to wear. It was by this church and it's kind of cheesy, but I actually really like it. Uh, it, it says live for the line and there's a dot and it says live for the line. And the idea there is live for eternity, like live in light of eternity, not for the dot that is your earthly life, but live in light of eternity. And I think that's part of what Paul is saying here when he says to live is Christ is we live in light of what we're going to get. We live in light of future grace. We live in light of all the promises that we have in Christ. And that is what it means to live in Christ. That is what the Christian life means. This frees us up to not feel like we need to be cool. Like being a Christian isn't cool. Like I'm just going to say it. Like at points we're going to be weird. And that's totally fine. Like this isn't our home. To live is Christ. Earth is not our true home. And we have to be reminded of that. Number two. So what does it mean to live as Christ? Pursue Christ now. Pursue Christ now. Uh, if you're around me long enough, you guys are going to get the Pac-Man diagram. And I don't think I've showed it to you this summer, so you're getting it. The Pac-Man. So, if you guys don't know Pac-Man, if you were to take just trace around these arrows, see the Pac-Man. That's why I call it the Pac-Man. It's not actually what it's called, but it makes sense in my head. So, that's Pac-Man. But this is the Christian life. So, I grew up thinking that the point of the Christian life is to get become a better person. Like, I just thought I'd be this old person and I'd get nicer and become this better person. And yet, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, as you live your life, you see more of your sin, more of who you are, and understand more of who God is. And you need the cross to get bigger and bigger and bigger as your life goes on. Like, you don't need less and less of Jesus. You need Him more and more as the Christian life goes on. And this is what it means to pursue Christ. Like, we want more and more of Christ in our life. We want more of the Gospel, more of the cross, however you want to talk about it. We want more of Christ in our life, and that is what the Gospel is. Like, we don't ever leave the Gospel. Like, we don't leave the realities of this summer. Like, as we talk about the reality of being new, like, we continue to walk forward in the Gospel, and that is the Christian life. So we pursue Him now. And... For some of you in this room, when you leave here, one of my biggest practical encouragements is get connected to a church. Like, plug into a church. Like, that's going to be what's going to feed you for the rest of your time on earth is going to be the church. And honestly, even if it's not Bethlehem, like, we would love for you guys to come to Bethlehem because that's where Camp Sourich is. But I care way more that you're going to a church or Calvary or uh, cities or... Where are you guys in Michigan? Oh, uh, we're not in Minneapolis. But I'm sorry. You guys are here, though. URC. URC. But we, we care way more that you guys are going and committed to the church more than that you're coming to our church. And again, all of us in this room would love for you guys to come to our church because that's where we are, and they're solid churches. But get connected to a church. Um, and specifically, in your rest of your time in college, Get connected with a college ministry. Okay? And again, even as I say that, you're like, oh, that's convenient. Like, you're up there and you're on staff of the college ministry. I am, and I think Camp Sarge is awesome. 
Otherwise, I wouldn't have given eight years of my life to Camp Outreach. But my life was transformed by the gospel, and now I want to do the same thing for other college students. And honestly, even if it's not Campus Outreach, like some of your guys' schools have so many things going on that are awesome. Like Bethel has a lot going on. Northwestern has a lot going on. I know those two schools the best. But there might be other things at your school that are really good, and I'd say get connected, even, again, if it's not Campus Outreach. And in saying that, we would love for you to get involved with Campus Outreach. Like, if I thought there was a better ministry than Campus Outreach, I would switch and go there. But there's not. Birdo's Birdo switched. No, okay. I'm not going to do that. Crew's awesome. There's a lot of good ministries, you guys. I'm serious. Um, but get connected somewhere. Seriously. Like, invest with your walk with God in college. I promise you won't regret it. Like, let Summer Training Project serve to be the beginning of this whole beginning of building a foundation in your relationship with Christ. And let that just be the beginning. Like, let it just be the tip of the iceberg. And as you continue in college, that you grow way more, right? That's what we want. Number three, what does it mean to live in Christ? Or to live is Christ? Share Christ. Share Christ. So Paul says it this way. As he continues in Philippians, he says this. So just a few verses later, if he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says... But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's a crazy chain of words, and if we had more time again, we'd unpack that. But Paul is saying that he wants to share his life with people in order that Christ is made much of, that they would know Christ because of his life. And that's what it means to live as Christ. is to share Christ with other people. Like maybe even some of you, like I heard tears when people were sharing tonight. And that's because many of you in this room have been praying and investing in lives this summer. And you've got to see the joy that's come because of new life. Like I can't tell you guys for me to sit in this room and Ben's not here so I can talk about him. But last year, Ben didn't know Christ. He didn't know Christ. And he was far from knowing Christ. Like he would have been the guy at Northwestern. I think almost everyone would have said, there's no way this person's going to be saved. Like you fill in the blank of everything you shouldn't do, especially at Northwestern. That was Ben. And yet he came to Christ. Like God saved him. God got a hold of his heart last summer. And it's crazy to watch what he's done. And that's been so joyful just to watch Ben's life be transformed. I get emotional just thinking about it. And, and his eternity is impacted because of that. And it's just crazy to think, like, I got to be a part of that, a small part of watching Ben grow. And some of you in this room got to be a part of that last summer. And it's crazy to think. And now it's not just, like, Ben's life, but even this, this summer, some of you guys are here because of Ben. And now that's rippling out. How cool is that? Like, there's joy to be had when we share Christ. That's what to live as Christ means. We get to share and walk forward in it. And we get to experience it together. And not only do we get to experience this together, you guys, but, but you guys can do this. Like this isn't just something like for the elite Christians or the staff in this room or the team leaders or the project directors who have finally made it. But this is you guys. Like you guys can experience it this year. 
Like I could tell you story after story of like, I, I shouldn't even be on the stage. Like I kid you not. Like my room leader somewhere at Project, I got cussed out by every guy in my room three separate times on multiple occasions for some guys, if that makes sense. So it was individual conversations with each guy that they cussed me out because I was a terrible room leader. Like absolute fail. Then I, somehow I got, came back again as a team leader. Uh, I don't know who was thinking that would be a good idea. My first talk was 14 minutes. Open, close, prayer, everything. 14 minutes, done. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like the worst team leader ever. I like, seriously, you guys, did I have a picture on here? This was me freshman year. I came into Northwestern and I wasn't trusting in Christ. God worked through Andrew Knight and him sharing the gospel with me and he changed my life. And I promise you that, that if he can do this in my life, yeah, you notice the puka shell, I'm wearing a class ring. I also have a bracelet right here. The everything about that picture. But I share that to say, if he can do this in my life, you guys, I promise he can do it in yours. Like I promise, there's absolutely nothing special about me being up here except for God's work in my life. And if you're trusting in Christ, you have that thing. Like he's doing those very things in your life and you're probably farther than I was at that point. I'm not even kidding. By far. Again, I can just tell story after story. Our, my first D group with Andrew, we had to go through grammar because none of us understood grammar. Like even to just understand the inductive, we had to walk through grammar. Like Andrew was like our middle school teacher teaching us nouns and adverbs. Now, this isn't a joke. Like, I'm telling you, you guys can do this. Like, and I'm proof of it. Like, if I can be up here giving you this talk, like, it's, it's proof that God can work in and through your life. And He can do that this year. Like, every one of you guys can share Christ. Like, you don't need to know everything in your Bible. Like, you don't. You don't need to know how you're going to answer every single question. What you need to know is what Christ did in your life, and you can share that with anybody. And I would encourage you to bring your Bible with because I think it'll help. Like, this is the best tool we have. Just open this up with somebody. Like, if you don't know what to say, just open it up with somebody. Start in a gospel and just start reading a gospel and watch God work. Just ask someone this year if they wanted to see, like, see Christ in the Bible. Like, have you ever thought about who Jesus is in the Bible? And open it up with them and study Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. Just watch God work. And you guys can do that, I promise. Like, if I can do it, I know you guys can. And that picture is proof of it. All right. That was way longer than I thought. Where am I? Okay. You guys can do this. I still don't know where I am. Share Christ. That's what it means to live as Christ. It's to share Him. And I promise you there's joy to be had there. And then finally, number four. What does it mean to live as Christ? The gospel is the best story and it's not even close. The gospel is the best story, and it's not even close. So, uh, as Potter and Larry were making the Bible study plan, I didn't, I didn't know or think about this until this morning, but Potter and Larry somehow found a way to get Luke 15 into our Bible study plan. And Luke 15 is like one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I was looking at it again this morning as I was even thinking about some of these things. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Like, we could just stop there. Like, that's what Christ does. He receives sinners. And not only are sinners, he, if you go on to read the passage, like, he receives the religious people. Like, he was pleading with both. Both the people who run far from God and the people who think they're close to God. And yet, he, the Father runs out to meet them. And this is the love of the Father that we have in Christ. This is the gospel. This is why the gospel is the best news in the world. It's not even close. And this has nothing to do with our merit or what we do, but everything with what Christ did. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no, man may, no one may boast. Like this has nothing to do with us and everything to do with what Christ did for us. And it's unbelievable. Like, yes, Jesus loves the sinners. And yes, He loves the religious too. And, and read it, it's awesome. If we had more time, we'd look at the whole thing. But we don't. Um, and then, uh, finally, under this point, God loves you if you are trusting in Christ. God loves you if you are trusting in Christ. He's not just indifferent. He's not angry. He's not up there grumbling or complaining. He loves you. He loves you, and it's not merited by what you did. It's what Christ did. He's smiling. He's up there as a proud father who loves you. Remember Romans 5.8. God shows His love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the Gospel. And there's not a story that comes even close. So, again, what I wanted you guys to think about tonight, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, man, we have so much to look forward to and heaven's closer than we think. And I would encourage you guys, spend time thinking about eternity. Spend time to thinking about who He is and what we get in heaven. But also, to live as Christ. Like the vapor's breath of a life you have now, live it for Christ. Like invest these next years in college, in the rest of your life, whatever that would mean. And I'm not saying just come on staff, although I want some of you in this room or many of you in this room to come on staff, but do it in an engineering field. Do it as a teacher. Like go live your life as an incredible wife or mother or husband, father, whatever God would have for you. That's what we want for you. So in the... In the closing of that article I was reading to you earlier by Matthew Westerholm, he says this, After 10,000 years, you'll look back and say, How little I knew of him. C.S. Lewis wants to find joy in this life as an unsatisfied desire, more desirable than any satisfaction. I think he's right. God doesn't want your hope to be in this life, but in the life to come. He wants you to long for your homecoming when you meet him face to face. When you do this, you have access to joy, more desirable than any satisfaction, here and now. Pray then for an ever-increasing capacity to know and enjoy Him as long as you long for eternity. So again, to live is Christ, to die is game. Home is coming. Home is coming and heaven is coming. And right now we get a little taste. We get shadows and glimmers of what's to come. But live for eternity. Use this vaporous breath of the life to live for Christ and watch Him work and see what happens. Let's pray. God, I pray that that would happen, that we would be like Paul when we say to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, I pray that You would remind us that 
uh, heaven's a lot closer than we think. That uh, even as we think about the idea of eternity, um, it's coming way sooner than we can imagine. Even that we would join in what Matt said, that we would think about our lives more like we're terminally ill and that we would live with urgency. And how would that change how we live if we lived in light of that? So God, I pray that this summer wouldn't just stop here, that it wouldn't just be two months of this thing we did one summer, but God, would this summer be a foundation that we can build on? A foundation where for some in this room, they've experienced Christ for the first time, and for others, they've seen community and other things, and God, I pray that that would continue to ripple out for the, from this room. And God, what would it look like if this room were to share Christ with one person this year? What would that mean? What could happen? What stories of your grace could multiply out because of this room? So God, I pray that it would happen as we even now say to live is Christ. And we celebrate that as we worship. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.